Hello, everybody. Good morning. Good to see you. Let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We have reached this new section of Paul's letter. And in this section, he is dealing with the worship practices of the Corinthians. Now, this is really major stuff. Because the New Testament doesn't tell us really a whole lot at all about the first century uh, Christian practices uh, as far as their worship practices. This is the greatest portion that we are given in all of Scripture, and it goes from chapter 11 through chapter 14, and wouldn't you know it, the Corinthians are messing it all up, <laughs> right? And to be honest with you, we're going to read some of this stuff, and we get it, we get it all messed up. The very passage that we're going to be looking at this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I've heard it debated, I've heard people argue about it, I've heard discussions about it, you know, whether or not should a woman wear a head veil, uh, should, can a man wear a hat and worship, can a woman have, long, uh, have short hair, can a man have long hair, and these are the things that all come right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You may say, yeah, we've had, I've heard those discussions before. You ever wondered where they come from and why people are so adamant about them? This is where it comes from. I remember, and this has been a few years ago, these are people who don't even go here anymore or anything else, uh, but there, there was a man and he was attacking a young Christian out in the foyer over wearing a hat during the worship assemblies. And so I just stepped in and he said, you don't believe what the Bible says, that a man is not to have a covering over his head in, in 1 Corinthians? And I said, well, that same passage says that women are to wear a head covering. And I said, I've never seen your wife wear one. I said, sounds to me like you've got some issues at home before you need to worry about other people. He got mad and he left. Well, folks, that kind of stuff happens. We get very animated about these things. And really, it brings the very first thing that we need to understand about 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is he's dealing with these traditions, these long-lasting traditions of, of Corinth, not of the Corinthian church, but of Corinth as a culture. And the more you understand the culture, the more you understand why Paul says the things he says. Traditions are not bad. In fact, traditions can be good. They can be helpful. They, in fact, I'll even go on and say they're needed. But a tradition is not a doctrine. And traditions change with culture, and cultures are always changing. Now, you're not going to like this, but there's a lot of things in here, or some things in here anyway, that we're just not going to be able to completely understand. We just can't. If we're going to be honest about Scripture, we have to say that. Because there are certain words that are used. In fact, one is used, it's a generic Greek word, and it can mean husband or wife. In fact, the English Standard Version uses husband and wife in, in, when we read here in a minute. But a lot of other translations just, just translate as man or woman. It's all based on the context as to how that word is supposed to be translated. The problem is, Paul just doesn't give us a lot to work off of. And you can make a case for either one of these. The other is the word head. Head is found more than any other word that you're going to find in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But it's a word that can mean authority, but it can also mean source. So is Paul saying that a man or, or husband, that he has authority over, over women or his wife? 
again, based on context, or is he saying that man is the source of woman? In other words, out of man, woman was created. And you could make a case for both of these in the text. You really could. And so we just got to do the best we can, okay? Now, one thing I want us to understand as we continue through this text is don't forget about the attitude of the Corinthians. That is so important as we think about these things. They really believe, many of them believe, that they were spiritually elite. That they were all about their freedoms, they were all about their rights, and they were less about building up the community of Christ. And we really see this in their worship practices. So with that in mind, there's two main things that we're going to see. And one of the things is gender distinctions are important. Gender distinctions are important. In fact, let's just read the text. How about that as we get started? So we're in chapter 11, verse 2. He says, Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions, even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut off, cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. And that's already an issue because Genesis 1, he says, let us make man and woman in the image of God. But verse 9, he says, for, for man was not made for the woman, but woman for the man. Neither, wa neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Ooh, that sounds like a more wild talk right there. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not dependent of man, nor man of woman. Whereas a woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does, it, does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. You got it, right? We can just go home. You got it all. He's showing one thing here is these gender distinctions. That this is a good thing. It's important. Paul's advice to the Corinthians is that they should maintain these traditional symbolic gender um, distinctions. Not just when you're out in Corinth, but even in your worship assemblies. Now, the church, they had really embraced something that Paul has been teaching the churches. And that is that there is neither male nor female in Christ. He says that they are one. And so what was happening is the women said, hey, we're one, so I don't need this, this cultural distinction anymore. And so they, they seem to be throwing this off. 
Now, this seems like an odd practice to us, isn't it? We live in the Western culture. We just really don't see a lot of this type of thing. But we understand customs, don't we? In fact, um, we understand that customs change from, from our country to another country or from one area to another area. For example, it is a custom, a very important custom, that when you go out to eat and you have a waiter or a waitress that you tip them, and generally it's considered 20%, and if you don't tip that person or you put down a penny, it's considered a, a, a sign of disrespect, right? Now, Missy and I, we went to Italy last year. When you go to Italy, guess what? They don't require you to tip. In fact, they encourage you not to tip. So it's not disrespectful over there if you don't tip. But over here, it's an absolute disrespect. And if you've ever had any family members or people that you love in the service industry, you understand what a real slight that would be. Another uh, good example of that is um, if you had a dinner party and, and you've worked hard and you've brought all these people here, you've cooked all day, and then your guests, they are just belching away at your table. You're just, that is like, that is so rude. But it's a, it is, it's a sign of flattery in China and Taiwan because it means that you like their food. So we can see how customs and traditions can be looked at as a sign of disrespect if we're not careful or a sign of respect in making sure that we do certain things. Here in the Mediterranean, the ancient Mediterranean culture, it was shameful for a wife not to have her head covered. Loose hair may have been associated with prostitution. Some think that may be what it was. Maybe it was associated with some of the frenzied uh, hair of women in these pagan cults as they, they got worked up, such as associated with Diocenes and Sibel and Isis. But one thing we know, he said, it's got to be covered. Now, I did this for a long time. I thought this was about head veils. Got to wear a veil. I don't believe that. For one, Paul never mentions a veil. And for two, it was not custom in Roman and Greek culture for women to wear head veils. I believe he tells us what it's more about in verse 15. The covering comes from a woman's hair. And the, the hair would be bound up, put up, and it was to be considered a covering for her hair. That's why all of a sudden, you know, you start talking about head coverings, and then all of a sudden they get into all of this about long hair and short hair. There's a reason for that, because this is what the covering had to do with it. Hair too short was closely re related to a convicted adulteress in Jewish circles. It was uh, related to the more masculine partner in a, rela a lesbian relationship in the Greek culture. And so Paul says, listen, if you're going to have your hair short and it's getting where it's too short, he says, you might as well just shave your head. If you're going to be confusing about how you're wearing your hair, he says, just shave your head and get it over with. And just, just act like these other folks where there's confusing sig signals about your sexuality or your religious commitments. And I think one of the things Paul is saying is that, yes, that even though there is neither male nor female, we are all one in Christ Jesus, we're still not angels. We continue to live in a world as people with specific 
gender identities. Now, our culture is pushing in a different way, right? We see that all the time. Um, And so Paul doesn't just argue to the culture. Paul also argues in the line of nature and also scripture. In fact, the first and, and the most lengthy thing that he says here is a theological statement. He says that God is over all. Did you get this? And just to throw a wrench into things to make us confused a little bit, he says that Christ, that, that God is over Christ. He is the head of Christ. Now, that may not make a lot of sense to us until we get to chapter 15 in verses 24 through 28. But then he says that the head of man or husband, depending on context, is Christ. And the head of the woman or wife is the man or the husband. And so he's trying to give them, his purpose is to help women see there is a need for these head coverings in your worship assemblies. Now we need to be careful here because a lot of people have tried, as I said, to to throw all kinds of things out there. And I've heard that it is wrong for a man to have long hair. It is wrong for a woman to have short hair. And this is exactly the place that we go. And we're also dealing with a cultural thing. Because the Spartans, who were Greek... Their custom was was shoulder-length hair. Uh, The Jews, they understood if somebody took a Nazarite vow, if it's a man, he's going to have long hair. He can't touch his hair. He can't shave his beard at all. He can't touch a blade to it at all. And in our culture, we understand a little bit about hairstyles, right? They change. Sometimes men's hair are short, sometimes they're long. Sometimes with women's hair, they're shorter, sometimes they are longer. And there's nothing wrong with that, except for the mullet. There's definitely something wrong with the mullet. And yes, I had one in the 80s. It just wasn't pretty. But but in our culture, you know, we just don't get captured by those things. We We don't tell, you know, women that it's not a custom that if you go out here in the United States that women are wearing you know, head coverings, except for certain religious groups, such as the Mennonites. And there is a very small segment of extreme conservative churches of Christ who still require women to wear uh, a head covering. But these are coming from religious groups who are basing it off of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's not a cultural thing. It's something that they believe and they've taken out of its cultural setting is what's happening. And it's fine if they want to wear a veil, but no woman should need to feel like that she has to wear a veil. We shouldn't get overly upset about new fashions. Unless, of course, it sends misleading signals. Not knowing, you know, well, is that a man or a woman? That's a misleading signal. A woman should dress in a way that doesn't confuse other people as to whether she's a prostitute or not. A man should look in a certain way that would not give off signals that suggest that they're not married or that they would be disloyal if they were given a chance. There there are certain aspects here that we need to understand. And we also, it's the same with when our group goes to Antigua, if there are certain certain customs of that time, then even though we may do them over here, when we go there, we need to abide by that culture because we do not want to bring shame 
on Christ or his community. And if you want to know what this is about, that's what it's about. The women were bringing shame on the Christian community because they're throwing off this, this cultural um, aspect of, of who they are, who, of, of this gender distinction. Paul praises them for this freedom that they have found in Christ. But once again, they just take it to an extreme. God created male and female different. He just did. But guess what we learn about all of creation? It's good. God created diversity. He, he created diversity with humanity, and he created diversity in nature. And aren't we glad? This diversity enriches life. It brings different perspectives and experiences as we continue to share this life together as a community of God's people. It's a good thing. Gender distinctions are good. Something else he teaches us here is that gender equality is celebrated. It's celebrated here in this text. Paul interrupts his own argument when you get into to verses 11 and 12, and he uses this word in the English Standard Version, it's nevertheless. And that was a Greek way of breaking into a discussion to say this is very important. It is a counterpoint to his own argument, and that is men and women are equal in the gospel. Paul endorses a freedom of women to pray and prophesy in the public assemblies. And prophesying is simply speaking God's message. And if you think, well, this is something that the Corinthians had come up with, it's not. Go all the way back to Pentecost. <laughs> and, and he's saying, listen, this is, what you're gonna, this is what's going to happen when this day comes. And he's quoting from Joel, who speaks about this time when women are going to be prophesying. But these women are not merely um, just, just um, doing this, but they're doing it in a way that flaunted their social customs and their order of creation. That's the problem. It doesn't seem like Paul is saying, listen, you need to cover your head because you're not allowed to pray and prophesy in the assembly. He's saying that you are to cover your head so that you can pray and prophesy with dignity, so that it's not shameful on the community, or at least it avoids distraction with those who have cultural sensitivities of the day. We're living in this realm of in-between. The new creation that we have been awaiting since the fall of humanity has finally come in Christ. Through his death, his resurrection, the Spirit of God has now come. And those of us who are Christians, we are a part of this new creation. The new has come, but guess what? We're still waiting for its final transformation. It still so we're somewhere here in this in-between where new creation has now come into our world, but we're waiting for its finalization. Our old sinful nature was nailed to a cross. It was buried with him, just as, 
And just as Jesus was raised up from the dead by the Father, he says that when we come out of the waters of baptism, that we too are to walk, we're raised up to walk in a newness of life. We put to death our ego, we put to death self-righteousness, and we replace it with the new things, things that are full of life and that bring glory to God, which, by the way, is what we are called to as part of this covenant people of the new creation. That's number one. We love God more than self. We love Him overall. Women being given the freedom to pray and prophesy in the assembly was simply a sample of what is going to finally be realized when the new creation comes in its completion. It's just a sample. But we live in the in-between. So there's always going to be a tension between the culture that we live in and the things that they call good and the things that they believe are important with this new creation that is coming in Christ. And so he says, you Corinthian women, while we're in the in-between, he says, you need to continue to cover your heads in the assemblies. Now, I'm not going to go any deeper with women praying and prophesying in the assembly, because guess what? We're going to come down to, at the end of chapter 14, and he's all of a sudden going to say, well, women should keep silent in the church. It's a shameful for a woman to speak in the church. So these things can't contradict, right? So here we see he's saying they're doing this. And this is what they need to do in order to continue to do this. So we've got to somehow work this thing out. That's why you go contextually with things and you don't just grab something and pull it and use it for yourself. Paul demonstrates, though, this mutual interdependence of men and women. I love this. At first, he mentions the created order. And we love to look at verses 8 and 9 and say, yeah, look here, man was not made from woman. Woman was made for man. And then we don't read the rest of the text. Again, we'd like to just pull. But verses 11 and 12 tell us something else. He says, but men, now you're born of woman. We've had several in this church who've, who've had children or grandchildren. And guess what? Every single one, it was a woman that carried that baby in the womb. It was a woman that brought, brought that baby out into the world. Woman was made for man, but man is now born of woman. And it's so sad that so many have used this text to beat their wives into submission. To beat them physically, emotionally, verbally, all in the name of Christian headship. The scriptures are very clear about this headship. And that is, husbands, you are to love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave himself for it. He nourishes it. He cherishes it. The other extreme that you find are from liberal Christian feminists. They're always demanding rights. And I should be able to do whatever I want to do. But what we find is one is not dominant over the other. In fact, what he says in Ephesians chapter 5, right before he begins all of this with husbands and wives, he says that Christians submit to one another 
There's a mutual submission that is to happen of all believers. Now later on, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. And he's going to give this analogy of a human body. And he says spiritual gifts are like, you know, somebody has, uh, you know, it's like having a hand or a foot or a leg or whatever. And we've got all these varying parts. Christ is the head. Oh, there's a word we've heard in this text, didn't it? He's the head. But guess what? He says we need every part of the body for it to function. And so it is true when it comes down to male and female. Both are important in the functioning of Christ's church. Christian men and women should work together to bring glory to God, to continue to maintain unity of the faith. And if there's one thing that we've seen through this text, it is this idea that we need to be a unified body of people. It's all about loving others. If you're a part of the covenant people of God, if you're a part of the new creation, then you understand that this is our calling. We do not flaunt our freedoms in a way that is disrespectful or divisive within the church. If, I had, if we had a real problem with white supremacist skinheads in Vero Beach, I mean, we got a problem with it. I'm just here to tell you, I'm letting my hair grow out. All right? Hey, I've got every bit of freedom to shave my head, what little bit I have to shave. And it's not pretty, believe me, it is not pretty when I let my hair grow out. But I do not want to be associated with that. And the same could be said if I lived in Portland, Oregon. If I lived in Portland, Oregon, I am not going to go out with a black hat, black shirt, black pants, and, and black shoes, because that is the dress of anarchists that are known as Antifa. Is there anything wrong wearing black? Well, I hope not. Several of you got black on today. Certainly it's not. But if I were in a culture where this is, is representative of anarchy and hatred, I don't want to be a part of it. Followers of Jesus should be known for being respectful for others for not only out in our community, but also here in the church. And I would even go on to say, even those we disagree with. Even those who disagree with nature, as we just talked about. You know, there's two, two distinctions of genders, male and female. We still are to be respectful in the way we go about things. We are not to bring shame upon the community of Christ. We should also... Show respect for women. I believe this text shows this and, and why this is important. Many want to believe that the Bible is anti-women. Anybody ever heard that before? Bible's anti-women. Yeah. I'm here to tell you, if you understand the culture of the day and you truly understand Scripture, you understand that the Scriptures are very progressive. They are very progressive in this male-dominated world. These things were happening in a male-dominated society, and Jesus showed a respect for women like none other. The apostles, read John 4 sometimes, they are floored that Jesus is talking to this woman at a well. And we could give many examples of Jesus. We could give other examples in there as well. But think about our nation. In our nation, women have always had to fight for their rights. 
We could take a real long history lesson about how they had to fight in order to vote, in order to hold a public office, in order to, have, uh, the, to get over wage discrimination. And we look back and we say, you know what? We've come a long way in our country, and that's good. That doesn't mean that everything that comes under the umbrella of women's rights is moral or ethical. We need to understand that as well. But the point is that we as Christians, we ought to be pro-women's rights. That's a good thing. And it's the same for the church in America. And here's what you learn. This is what you learn about Corinth. We're already seeing it, as is the culture. So the church, that filters in there. You read the, the churches of Asia. Jesus deals with things that were a part of their culture that seeps in. All the New Testament, he's talking to these churches. And culture, it has an effect. And don't you think that has had an effect what, how we were as a country and how we are as a church over the years? Listen, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've sat in pews and you heard that it is wrong for a woman to work outside the home. You have heard things such as a woman can't serve communion trays. Can't do a service job. Not even a leadership job, a service job. Or you may have heard things like a, a woman cannot even make a comment in a Bible class. I've been at a place, and I've, I've been a part and of all of those things, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. We've come a long way. But we must continue to ask if the gospel continues to give freedoms that maybe we just haven't realized. Probably most of us are very uncomfortable with verse 5. And I say we. Very uncomfortable. But like those Corinthian believers, we've got to continue to study. We've got to continue to figure things out the best that we can. Until that happens, we continue to hold to our traditions and be respectful even if women have freedoms that maybe we just have not even yet realized. But that's our calling. It's not to do things the way we want them or the way we've always liked them or the way we've always heard them, but always submitting ourselves to Christ. The new creation is beautiful. It's wonderful. And there will always be a tension in, in being a part of this new creation and yet still living here in the old creation. But we've got to always submit ourselves before God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this day, and we thank you for allowing us to have this study as, as difficult as it can be at times. Father, we just pray that you'll help us to understand things that maybe we haven't quite understood. Or, um, but Father, we know that you are the one that, that gives us your spirit. Father, we pray your spirit will continue to guide us and lead us in the right way. Help us, Father, not to, to break with traditions that would bring shame upon our, this, this church community. Help us to love one another and to continue to seek out each other's good. But Father, we just thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the new creation that has been brought before us. And Father, we await that day that we will one day be like Jesus as he was resurrected from the grave. Till that time, Father, just continue to help us. Help us in our mistakes and our failures. 
Help us as we, we lead others to your Son. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.